BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in sultry Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, reporting to you today on a slightly elevated note. The last several days, maybe even the last week, have been uh, difficult for me. It's not something I talk about very much because it's not something that generally impacts my life too often, although uh, perhaps that is changing and not in a good way. I probably have mentioned before that I, like so many of you, have chronic depression. Now, for the past many years, I have been taking a low dose of uh, an antidepressant called citalopram, which seems to help a great deal in so much as uh, I don't I don't just fall off a cliff. Well, this last week or so, I seem to have fallen off a cliff. You know, the last time this happened, I had run out of my antidepressant and I wasn't taking it for a few weeks. And then suddenly I found myself feeling just terrible. This went on for a couple of weeks, and I finally said to Martha, you know, I'm, I'm feeling real lowly. She said, have you been taking your medication? And I said, well, I ran out a few weeks ago. And she said, well, have, have you considered that maybe it's that? And surprisingly, I hadn't. But I, I was feeling just terrible. Well, once I got back on the medication, you know, it took a few days or a week or so, but that generally leveled out. Well, I, I, I've been very careful not to let my medication run out since then. And I haven't, and I've been taking it regularly, and yet, this past week, just off a cliff. Now, I don't know how depression manifests itself with other people or with you, but for me, it comes on almost like, it's almost like a physical pain. It's different than physical pain, but, it, but, but it's the, that's the closest analogy I can think of. It's like living in pain. It's just that it's brain pain. It's the pain that's going, oh, you stupid piece of shit. You're horrible, you know, and, and that's just on a loop for every hour of every second of your waking life. And consequently, you think, oh, I must be horrible. Oh, I must be a real piece of shit, you know, and then you believe that as I do, and it clouds one's ability to really do anything. So I've been sleeping a lot and uh, feeling just lousy. And then today, for some reason, my mood is somewhat elevated. And, and, and it's almost upsetting in a way because it's like nothing has changed, you know? Like my circumstances have not improved. So why am I feeling better today? 
like in a weird way, I'd almost rather be depressed because I can't point to any cause for uh, the depression, the onset of it or the offset of it. It just seems to happen, which itself is kind of frightening. And, you know, with John Fetterman checking himself into the hospital and everything, I thought, oh, man, maybe I should do that. But then I was like, I'm not going to do that. Why would I do that? But then I thought, oh, maybe I should, you know, get a break, get some jello. But, uh, yeah, didn't check myself into the hospital. Instead, I, you know, I've been trying to muscle through a little bit. And I've been talking about it, you know, with, with Martha. It's not, I haven't been keeping it a secret from her, but I don't want to burden her too much with it because it worries her. I don't like her to be worried. Maybe it's worrying you. Don't be worried. I'm fine. Which is what I say to her. And she says, no, you're not. And I say, well, maybe not, but I don't want to burden you. Well, that's what I'm saying to you as well. So you can either believe me or not. I don't give a shit. But over at uh, Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff has just confessed to digging up Kathy Sr. in her grave. And apparently she was still largely intact, which is a little bit confusing because it's been a few years. But then you know, Emily Bronte talks about that, and Heathcliff talks about that, and you think to yourself, well, we'll excuse it. I said it was poetic license that she hadn't quite disintegrated. And But Heathcliff himself says that he would be even happier if she had dissolved and that he could dissolve into the earth with her. And after this last week, I know exactly what he means. Wouldn't it be nice to just dissolve into the earth? Uh, you, that, that you shouldn't take that as like, oh, Michael's going to hurt himself. No, I'm not going to do that. But, but you know, just becoming of the earth sounds pretty good. And then he expresses his conviction in ghosts. And we uh, already know that Kathy Sr. has presented herself as a ghost to Lockwood. And that is where we left it last time in chapter 29 of Wuthering Heights. Heathcliff is still talking to Nellie, of course, who really seems to be his only friend. And Nellie, I don't think, would ever describe him as her friend. But for whatever reason, he feels compelled to confess to her. And I guess it's a good thing he does, or else we wouldn't have a book. The day she was buried, there came a fall of snow. In the evening, I went to the churchyard. It blew bleak as winter. All round was solitary. I didn't fear that her fool of a husband would wander up the den so late, and no one else had business to bring them there. Being alone and conscious, two yards of loose earth was the sole barrier between us, I said to myself. I'll have her in my arms again. If she be cold, I'll think it is this north wind that chills me, and if she be motionless, it is sleep." So he's saying, I, I'm going to hug her. I'm going to, I'm going to dig her up and I'm going to, I'm going to hug her in my arms. And if she, if she's cold, it's not because she's dead. It's because it's, it's me. It's, it's, it's the northern wind. And if she's motionless, it's not because she's dead. It's because she's asleep. And uh, here we begin to feel a little bit for the pitiable Heathcliff. But I caution you, reader, do not feel too much for this treacherous man, he is capable of enormous violence and cruelty, as we have seen. I got a spade from the tool house and began to delve with all my might. It scraped the coffin. I fell to work with my hands. The wood commenced cracking about the screws. 
I was on the point of attaining my object when it seemed that I heard a sigh from someone above, close at the edge of the grave and bending down. If I can only get this off, I muttered. I wish they may shovel in the earth over us both, and I wrenched myself more desperately still. There was another sigh, close at my ear. I appeared to feel the warm breath of it displacing this sleet-laden wind. I knew no living thing in flesh and blood was by, but as certainly as you perceive the approach to some substantial body in the dark, though it cannot be discerned, so certainly I felt that Cathy was there, not under me, but on the earth. A sudden sense of relief flowed from my heart. Through every limb, I relinquished my labor of agony and turned consoled at once, unspeakably consoled. Her presence was with me. It remained while I refilled the grave and led me home. You may laugh if you will, but I was sure I should see her there. I was sure she was with me, and I could not help talking to her. Having reached the heights, I rushed eagerly to the door. It was fastened, and I remember that a cursed Earnshaw and my wife opposed my entrance. I remember stopping to kick the breath out of him, and then hurrying upstairs to my room and hers. I looked round impatiently. I felt her by me. I could almost see her, and yet I could not. I ought to have sweat blood, then, from the anguish of my yearning, from the fervor of my supplications to have but one glimpse. I had not one. She showed herself, as she often was in life, a devil to me. And since then, sometimes more and sometimes less, I have been the sport of that intolerable torture, infernal, keeping my nerves at such a stretch that if they had not resembled catgut, they would long ago have relaxed to the feebleness of Linton's. Well, that's, that's quite a little confession from Master Heathcliff. He felt her breath beside him, a warm sigh in that snow, in that winter storm, and felt comforted. And yet, it didn't last, did it? Well, why not? Why didn't it last? I was on the point of attaining my object. A sudden sense of relief flowed from my heart. I could almost see her. It's, I guess it's that part of him felt that, felt like, oh man, like, I can, I can put the dirt back on this hole here because she's obviously uh, waiting for me back at Wuthering Heights or Thrushcross Grange or wherever. Where, where did he go? She would have been at Thrushcross Grange. Uh, having reached the heights, I rushed eagerly to the door and uh, I remember that accursed Earnshaw and my wife opposed my entrance. I remember stopping to kick the breath out of him and then hurrying upstairs to my room and... Hers. Well, this is confusing. Having reached the heights, meaning Wuthering Heights, I reached eagerly to the door. It was fastened. So did he actually go to Thrushcross Grange? It was fastened. And I remember that accursed Earnshaw and my wife opposed my entrance. So he kicks the breath out of him, out of Earnshaw? And then hurrying upstairs to my room and hers. I looked round impatiently. I felt her by me. I could almost see her, yet I could not. I ought to have sweat blood then 
from the anguish of my yearnings. So, hmm. When I sat in the house with Hareton, so this is whether he's he's at Wuthering Heights, but then what does he mean he beat, kicked the breath out of Earnshaw? I don't understand. Hareton Earnshaw or Earnshaw? God damn it. When I sat in the house with Hareton, it seemed that on going out I should meet her. When I walked on the moors, I should meet her coming in. When I went from home, I hastened to return. She must be somewhere at the heights, I was certain. And when I slept in her chamber, I was beaten out of that. I couldn't lie there. For the moment I closed my eyes, she was either outside the window, or sliding back the panels, or entering the room, or even resting her darling head on the same pillow as she did when a child. And I must open my lids to see, and so I opened and closed them a hundred times a night, to be always disappointed. It racked me. I've often groaned aloud to that old rascal Joseph, no doubt believed that my conscience was playing the field inside of me. Now since I've seen her, I'm pacified, a little. It was a strange way of killing, not by inches, but by fractions of hairbreadths to beguile me with the specter of a hope through eighteen years. Yes, yes, she's been gone for eighteen years. So why wasn't she decomposed? Is it because the spirit in her is so strong that it is waiting for Heathcliff? And so it is waiting until he joins her and they should dissolve into the earth together. That feels... Uh, you know, kind of gothic-y and romantic. So, sure, we'll go with that. I'm sure Emily Bronte liked that idea. Who wouldn't? It's a fine idea. It's a fine, beguiling idea. So, let's take a little break. When we return, we'll continue reading this dumb book. Back in a moment. Back on Obscure, Heathcliff unburdening himself to Mrs. Nellie Dean the way I have unburdened myself to you. Although, let's be honest, he certainly seems like he's in a worse place than I am. The Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. Just thinking back a little bit for a moment. When we first began the book, I remember we cranked up the old research machine to even see what the hell the word wuthering means. And it means windy. And so we are reminded again of the wind and the way it can carry voices, real or imagined, into us. And that seems to be what has been going on with Heathcliff. He hears her voice everywhere. He feels her presence everywhere, and yet every time he tries to find her, she is nowhere to be found, until he actually goes to the churchyard, digs her up, looks at her face, is like, oh yeah, there you are, okay, all good, I feel better, lets it go. How do we confront that which haunts us? How do we? Heathcliff's solution is to make those around him miserable, which doesn't seem to be a very good uh, strategy or tactic, and then 
Finally, it gets to be so much that he literally confronts her by digging her up, and it makes him feel a bit better, though it's not quite clear why. Maybe if he can place her, if he can physically place her someplace, maybe that makes him feel better, as opposed to always wondering, always hearing her voice on the snatch of wind as it as he rambles in the moors, you know? Mr. Heathcliff paused and wiped his forehead. His hair clung to it, wet with perspiration. His eyes were fixed on the red embers of the fire, the brows not contracted, but raised next the temples, diminishing the grim aspect of his countenance, but imparting a peculiar look of trouble and a painful appearance of mental tension towards one absorbing subject. He only half addressed me, and I maintained silence. I didn't like to hear him talk. After a short period, he resumed his meditation on the picture, took it down, and leant it against the sofa to contemplate it at better advantage. And while so occupied, Catherine entered, announcing that she was ready when her pony should be saddled. Send that over tomorrow, said Heathcliff to me. Then turning to her, he added, You may do without your pony. It's a fine evening, and you'll need no ponies at Wuthering Heights. For what journeys you take, your own feet will serve you. Come along. Goodbye, Ellen, whispered my dear little mistress. As she kissed me, her lips felt like ice. And what else feels like ice? The lips of the dead, certainly. The lips of the dead. He is, in a sense, trying to kill her, too. Well, not in, I mean, in a very real sense, he wants to kill her, too, but... um. I wonder if he is, in a weird way, creating a kind of taxidermied Kathy Sr. through the living vessel of Kathy Jr. You know, he has her close. Her lips are now cold as ice. She is reduced, her spirit uh, tamped down, married off to his worthless son. So in a sense, he's creating a living ghost. Maybe just as Frankenstein created a living ghost, you know? Are we not all haunted, right? Now, I don't know if you guys believe in ghosts or not. If you believe in apparitions. And I, I have always been highly skeptical of such things. Although, like with everything else, I want to believe. I've never seen a ghost. And I am always suspicious of those who have. Not because I doubt their veracity, but because I just kind of doubt their interpretation of what they saw. And yet, as we know, I am more than credulous when it comes to UFOs. Why? What's the difference? What's the difference between somebody saying they've seen a ghost or somebody saying they've seen an alien? There is none. So why am I credulous about one and incredulous about the other? Hard to say speaks to my own lack of discernment. In other words, I'm a fucking idiot. Savannah, they say, is the most haunted city in America. Maybe that's what's troubling me. Maybe I have, maybe I'm possessed. I have some spirit within me, the spirit of Flannery O'Connor or somebody, some Savannian. I don't know. Come and see me, Ellen. Don't forget. Take care. You do no such thing, Mrs. Dean, said her new father. When I wish to speak to you, I'll come here. I want none of your prying at my house. He signed her to precede him, and casting back a look that cut my heart, she obeyed. 
I watched them from the window, walk down the garden. Heathcliff fixed Catherine's arm under his, though she disputed the act at first, evidently. And with rapid strides, he hurried her into the alley, whose trees concealed them. End of chapter 29. And uh, I'm not going to begin chapter 30, though we are, uh, we, we still do have some time available to us, but I just get such pleasure out of starting the chapters on the new episodes that, heck, I'll just wait. But we are seeing, I think, you know, Heathcliff could be a sympathetic character, or should be really a sympathetic character, if it were not for all of his evil doings. You know, I mean, he's in love with this chick. She dies. Okay, sympathy. And they were wild and rambunctious when they were young, and they caused no end of grievance to those around them, including Earnshaw. He beat up Earnshaw. You know, that's uh, What's-Her-Face's father. I, you know, I, I, he, to this day, I get the names mixed up. But he's just a dick, you know? And there was a way to suffer uh, positively, and there was a way to suffer negatively. And I think it's fair to say that he is suffering negatively. Well, I don't know that it's positive, uh, possible to suffer in a positive way, but certainly in a less destructive way. Suffering by its nature does not allow for much uh, illumination, shall we say. But I don't even know why I said that. I mean, it does allow for illumination because it, 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 it forces light into dark 